This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies. White people love saying, just tell me oh, what yeah. to do. Just tell me what to do. Honey, I bet I hit my head against the wall for 15 years trying to tell white people what to do. And, I was, and then it hit me. You can't tell them what to do. You can only start hey. to share with them how to be. Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Our essential question today, why is racial healing a crucial component for achieving equity in our schools and communities? Our guest today is Toby Scruggs Hussein, a visionary educator, author, and award-winning urban high school principal with over 25 years of emotional intelligence training. She cultivates courageous, connected, and conscious leaders and service organizations internationally internationally who recognize her um, who recognize her calling to be more toby is currently the national board president of coalition of schools educating mindfully she is a dare to lead certified instructor and she teaches workshops to leaders and educators with key messages of vulnerability clarity of value trust and the ability to get back up when we experience setbacks and failures if that's uh, not enough for you all she also authored a book be a parent champion it's a book focused on culturally responsive family engagement that serves to support parents on how to be better partners with the school um, and what she calls educational parenting. So we are so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for coming out here today. Thank you so much, both of you. It's fabulous to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. So we just wanted to start by kind of breaking down some of the different hats that you wear um, and, and just kind of talking through some of that work that you do. So I think, first of all, is there anything that's not in your bio that listeners should know as part of the context and understanding where you're coming from today? Um, I would say yes, because all of what you really read is about me being rooted in the work of equity and really getting better results for students of color. Mm. And the reason I'm able to do the work that I do today in terms of professional learning and supporting our educators and systems is because, unfortunately, I had to go outside of the school system to get my leadership development. Mm. Hmm. Like our leadership development was just so substandard and focused yep. on standards and things that, you know, once you kind of get, you get. And what is it like to really lead for equity? What is it like to hold uncomfortable conversations? What is it hmm. like to talk about race with people who don't want to talk about race? Huh, right. Like those, <laughs> that was the type of leadership development that I needed that um, allowed me to get some of the certifications that I have that just really... Um, positioned me, if you will, to do the work from an emotionally intelligent perspective mm -hmm. and do it differently. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So how did you transition from being a principal for so long into this work? Um, one, being a principal for 17 years totally prepared me. I think in so many ways, people really underestimate and undervalue the work that we do as educational leaders. Mm -hmm. And um, I go around telling people all the time lately, especially those corporate entities, you know, every job exists because of a teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like everything okay. that exists is on the foundation and the backs of our educational system, good or bad. So if we're going to critique it or have something to say about it, we have to remember 
either we're helping to approve it or we're going to simply just contribute to the status quo. Mm -hmm. And um, what's really critical in terms of your question is that I went into a nonprofit sector and I was um, the executive director for Partners in School Innovation, which is an organization nationally that focuses on our most underachieving schools. Mm-hmm. And so all my work in as a principal allowed me to have that experience to coach others and support mm-hmm. others in transforming schools and doing it from an equ- equity lens. Mm-hmm. So, And then from there, I just realized I love what I'm doing. I love personal growth and development. I love the leadership lens. How can I blend my passions together to really, in a sense, keep me in the game Mm-hmm. As a black woman doing this work, it's extra hard mm-hmm. um, to one, convince people that the systemic racism in our schools is real, and then to get them to the point where they can actually change their practice in order mm-hmm. to improve results. Mm-hmm. And that takes mm-hmm. a different kind of stamina. Absolutely. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the truth. Yeah, that's so, that's so true. And it's true also that um, being outside of the schools, I'm sure, has given you a perspective right moving out of the school building and just seeing seeing it almost with outside eyes right has changed yes. as well yeah. yeah um so was there a moment when you were a principal was there a moment or a series of moments that you kind of uh, realized that you needed to that something happened was there a catalyst for that change for you personally that made you want to seek other leadership development or uh, what what was your aha moment My real aha moment was really seeing that my colleagues were were well-meaning and caring and not racist. Like I knew the not racist part, like I took that for granted. But when I kept looking at the data, I'm like, something's just not adding up. My colleagues Mm -hmm. are smart, they're gifted, they're great teachers, and yet our data sucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like for lack of a better descriptor. And um, the real aha for me was going on a silent retreat out of frustration and wanting to to leave public education for the Mm -hmm. second time due to the frustration around it and and really um my language is okay what question am i going to take to god on this Mm -hmm. silent retreat that's like literally how Mm -hmm. i talk to myself i'm like okay god what's our question for this week that we're going to lean into before i lose my mind yeah and literally um the question was really simple and really clear okay how am I going to get these white people to listen to me so I can stay in a profession that I love? And that was it. And that was on a Sunday that I took that question to the mat. And by Wednesday, I was in deep tears. Hmm. And what was revealed to me and part of my spiritual work on this journey is simply that um, compassion. Like, how can I grow my compassion as a black woman leader who does not have what I call um, a culture gap, a Mm. cultural connection Mm -hmm. gap with those that I serve. How can I help to bridge that gap for my white colleagues who I know are busting their butts to be of service? And I was anchoring into the pain that I'm, that I, again, this is me projecting. It doesn't even make it totally true, but I think it's pretty true because it seems to land for people. I was felt like I was anchoring into the pain of what it must feel like as a white person to absolutely love your job. You have been called to be a teacher. And I believe that that's a rich and beautiful calling and it's a spiritual calling. You've been called to be a teacher. You're doing what you love and you're getting beat up all the time for Mm -hmm. having subpar results. And the pain 
of carrying that. And then on top of that, the pain of not being able to either change it because you don't know how, Mm. or the pain of not having the courage to be willing to change it Mm. because Mm. of what you're going to have to face and look at and admit if you don't make the shift. And that's where the racial healing comes in. Hmm. I really appreciate the way you, you say that because I, I find myself not having enough empathy maybe for my white, <laughs> my fellow white colleagues. And I'm just like, get it together. The kids cannot <laughs> deal with this anymore. Right. Um, and I just want to, you know, I won't say slap some people, but, you know, figuratively speaking mm-hmm. um, in that sense. But I appreciate what you're saying, that place of coming from compassion and empathy, which probably in the end is actually more effective than coming from that harsh, harsh place. Mm-hmm. So on your, on your website, you talk a lot about this idea of like self transformation is this part of that um is that language kind of part of this work or what Ooh, how would you describe oh, absolutely. that absolutely i mean the emotional intelligence aspect and the willingness to look at oneself be it your trauma be it your conditioning whatever it is you're not coming into the classroom free of all of your baggage do i get to right. curse on this podcast yeah you can do what you want you can say you what don't you want. get to come in the classroom free <laughs> of all your bullshit like you're bringing all of you to the experience and yeah. so when we get kids that keep triggering us mm. Don't blame the kid. That's your trigger. 100%. And that kid is being put in your spiritual path and in the path of your calling for you to heal from that trigger. Hmm. But instead, you're just going to write him a referral because that's easier. Right. And that puts you in the place of power. Hmm. And so we have to get into our own transformational work. We have to get into our own psyches hmm. so that we show up more healthy and healed because our kids on the spectrum of age are not even bringing the stuff that we're bringing, like just by nature of peeling back the onion of damage that's been done. They're not bringing all that with them. They're going Mm -hmm. through their own stuff. They're having their struggles, but we can't serve them unless we are more whole and more Mm -hmm. balanced. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately our system damages us. Like Mm -hmm. it's not even like just the whiteness, it's even the trauma. Like we're all going through educational trauma, no matter what color we are, because our system is rooted in systemic trauma, Mm -hmm. systemic, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. we're all in it. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to, we've got to approach improving our system from a better and different place and teaching standards are not the way to do it. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. It makes me think a lot about the, the part of that kind of systems of violence in schools are come from compliance right and we have talked we talked about this recently on the show about um you know what's the the kind of the root of education is this idea of training for compliance and that's where educate our educational system comes from that's it's that's it's that's its roots right so um and that and it's how many groups of folks have been um, extremely traumatized right by by the system even to a greater degree right and so you know, thinking about how, um, how, you know, I guess, rethinking this idea of, of compliance in schools. How Absolutely. We, yeah. we have to, because we can't yeah. make hearts compliant. Hmm. Compliance hmm. is for the policies that come right. from a heart set. Right. And so if your yeah. heart set is not worked on and made more inclusive, then your policies are not going to be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just heard something crazy yesterday. I'm talking to a woman consulting with her and she's sharing how she's a parent on this um, school board here in California where they are signing um, 
like a pro, an anti-racism proclamation. And they're going to have all of their students and all of, right, I'm looking at like feeling perplexed too. They are literally going to be signing this anti-racism proclamation, all of the kids, all of the teachers, all of the stakeholders and parents in the school district. And I'm like, so that's it. That's the action that we're taking as we go into the school year. Like we're not talking about the training. We're not talking about... Um, who we're going to work with, but we're going to just sign this thing. We're not talking about changing curriculum. Right. And I just found it to be crazy. I was like, oh, so kind of like the Emancipation Proclamation. Hey, got hey, and that changed everything. Hey, hey. <laughs> we just signed that paper. Speak it's going to be yeah. all good. So, yeah, I'm really concerned. Uh, yeah that's really that's that's really, I, don't, I did not have a nuanced understanding of racism until I was like now years old like I'm yeah. really starting as a 30 oh, mid 30s starting to kind of understand oh wow as a white woman this is the nuances of racism that I didn't I was not explicitly taught that I don't understand How can you expect students to sign and teachers to sign uh, human beings to sign an anti I'm not going to be racist right like we don't do racism here right that's not anti. <laughs> should just say we don't do racism here. Right, like that's the that should be the drift way. But if you if you don't even really understand what racism is, how do you not do it? How do you avoid it? Exactly. And well, how do you unlearn the stuff yes. that we've just been learning? Yeah. And again, this isn't just a white issue. Like it's no. it's a white problem in a lot of yeah, ways. It's yeah. made problems for people of color, but it's all right. of our issue, and we're all healing from stuff regardless. Like the amount of internalized oppression for people of color mm-hmm, mm-hmm. based on systemic mm-hmm. oppression. I mean, that's huge mm-hmm. in and of itself. And so it's going to take time mm-hmm. for this to come together. Mm-hmm. And it's all going to be about the approach. It's like, it's not going to be business as usual. And if we try to make this business as usual or tack our anti-racism work mm-hmm. on top of what yeah. we're already doing, like yeah. it's this add-on, yeah. we're going to be right where we are. Yeah. Well, we're doing the same thing that we did with other kind of moves. Right. So whether it was about special education, whether it's about um, language learners, I mean, it's just right. That's our MO in education (laughs) in education (laughs) is to do these tack ons and not to do the real work, which is the hard work, which is Mm -hmm. a systemic infrastructural work. Um, so when you, I mean, you kind of mentioned this just now that there's kind of steps in this process. And I think about, um, what I've read a little bit around your healing centered and trauma responsive leadership in classrooms. Can you speak a little bit about, you know, what does that look like then if it's not just signing (laughs) these statements, what does some of that real work look like? The real work really looks like, how are we exploring these human issues? How are we exploring the work of our hearts and whatever that self-growth work looks like for us. It could be trauma. It could be racism. It could be um, alcoholism for all we know. It's like, it's just whatever is in a sense, keeping you from being your best self Hmm. because it's keeping us from showing up as our best selves as leaders and as teachers. And so it's about how do we create time for that? And in fact, whenever um, I teach and do trainings, I let people know explicitly the heavy lift on this is not the doing. It's not going to be the strategies. That's not where we're starting from because white people love saying, just tell me what to do. Just (laughs) tell me what to do. Honey, I bet I hit my head against the wall for 15 years trying to tell white people what to do. And and then it hit me. You can't tell them what to do. You can only start to share with them how to be. 
right? And so once our being shifts, and I always promise people, if you lean into the training without trying to figure out what to do, like if you just suspend that for yourself, Mm. gift that to yourself, your lens will shift in such a way that by the end, you will know for yourself what to do. Like Mm. you'll be able to go back at lesson plans and look at something different. You'll be able to go back to your family engagement strategy and look at something differently Mm -hmm. because your lens will have shifted and it's going to jump off the page to you in so many other ways versus if I say to you, you know, you do need to spend 15 minutes in your opening your classroom in the opening sessions that you can get in your 40 minutes of teaching. If I say that to you without any deep understanding, your first pushback to me is, Toby, I don't have time for that. I have too much content to Mm -hmm. get through. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? They're not learning your content. Your data sucks. Why don't you try something different? 100%. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when when we lay the foundation to um, spend more time being relational with our students up front, the teaching sticks, right? The flow of the classroom sticks, discipline referrals go down. Yep. Like it just changes the game and people don't get that off the top without having to go through some sort of experience. So mm-hmm. I can't even teach you how to spend that 15 minutes until, until I teach you why we need to spend that 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think about also um, the, the reluctance on the part of students who have, have been traumatized within the school systems mm-hmm. to be able to open up to teachers or to open up to their peers. And not just in school trauma, but just the way that our society is so individualistic that students don't feel connected to each other. They don't feel connected to school and how important that time is, right, to get to know them, understand them and where they're coming from. Because they, they I, and I'm sure you both have experienced this in the classroom as well, just when you are trying to get to know students and they are so reluctant, they don't want to, they don't want to be there. They don't want to open up. They don't want to be seen even sometimes. And so um, that building that trust in a genuine way, that's not fake. That's not, okay, let's be best friends, right? That's not right. like a boundary invasion, you know, that's, that's a, it's appropriate and, for the, you know, for their, your, their time at school, but genuine, right? Absolutely. And part of that is also anchored in how we're approaching getting mm-hmm. to know them. Yeah, It doesn't have to be about us all bearing our soul. It's really about connecting, like connecting with what's really present. Yeah. Um, there is a great TED talk by Kylie Schwartz and she mm-hmm. spells her name K-Y-L-E. And, um, And she does an activity that's just a letter, an open letter, what I wish my teacher knew about me. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really advising and supporting teachers to be doing that, coming back from this COVID situation, whether we're coming back virtually or not. I mean, we're literally going to have students returning to us that have had deaths in their family due to COVID, that parents have lost jobs due to COVID, that have experienced significant hunger issues. Yep. I mean, things are different um, as a result of COVID and that's being compounded on whatever other ways of disconnection were already present. And so again, we may not unpack those, what I wish my teacher knew about me, that could be too vulnerable. That could be too much. It may not even fit the space, Right. but just in being able to hold some of that or let the student mm-hmm. share their comfort level is going to allow the teacher to have some insight. Mm-hmm. And when we do the relationship building, like the first and two weeks of school, that we're focusing on that more heavily. Again, it's really like tribes activities, um, icebreakers, things that are just creating community and connection. Mm-hmm. 
doesn't have to be this like tearful outpouring. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem, right? Sometimes um, teachers, especially I find, I'll just say white teachers who think that they're woke um, are like, oh my gosh, we're going to do this like connector and just bear it all. And it's like, yo, you have not said, you've not invested the time, the energy that doesn't fit this context. These kids are bringing all of their experiences into your classroom. You haven't done the internal work. <laughs> it's like none of that's going to work right. here. Um, let's take a really quick break and then want to dive more into the COVID, your kind of thoughts about this um, coming school year. Okay, sounds good. Hi, I'm Melanie Denise Cunningham, your 253 Peace Queen. And I'm Audrey Cunningham. And we're the host of the Channel 253 podcast, What Say You? This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by PeaceWorks United and the Greater Tacoma Community Foundation. And we're here to remind you that the 2020 census is underway and that you, yes, you, must participate. That's right. I know people can get nervous when someone from the government shows up with a clipboard, but here's the truth. Participating in the census will help us get our fair share of representatives to Congress, and it will also get more federal funds to our community that we can use on urgent matters, like community policing, for instance, and many other things. You don't have to be a voter. You don't have to be a citizen even. In terms of the census, you count. Everyone counts. But you won't count unless you participate. Please take the time. Answer the questions. 10 questions, 10 minutes. Show up for your community. If you haven't completed the census form at this time, please visit census.gov to find out what you need to do now. Thank you to PeaceWorks United and the Greater Tacoma Community Foundation for your sponsorship of Channel 253 and getting the word out about the 2020 census. So we're back um, and we'd like to talk a little bit more. You kind of mentioned some of the things that are going to be impacting the fall differently, particularly with COVID. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more. What are some of the conversations you're having in your consultancy work? What are some things you see coming down the road? Um, How is trauma going to look different come this fall? Woo! I'm going to start with the last question. (laughs) Trauma is going to look really different come this fall because we already had a system where the adults were were traumatized Hmm. also, Hmm. but now it's even more so. Hmm. Like the adults and the students are sharing a collective trauma that they probably had not shared before. Hmm. Now this is totally collective and it's free of, um, I'm not going to say totally free. Class is still an issue. Race is still an issue. And yet at the same time, this is the most collective traumatic experience we can experience across class, across race in a lot of ways. And so um, I'm concerned that not all teachers are going to be coming back Hmm. in Mm -hmm. terms of they may be coming back um, in body, but not in spirit. Yeah. A lot of teachers shut down, like they bailed on their kids. I'm hearing horror stories. Like I was talking to parents in early May that said they had not heard from their teachers since the schools closed March Awful. 17th. That's so shameful. It is shameful. Yeah. Absolutely. And at the same time, there's the compassion of, oh, shit, what was this teacher going through? What sure, happened yeah. in their house? What were they already dealing with? Like, we have yeah. to remember, yes, our teachers are holding this esteemed and noble role that has super responsibility with it. And at the same time, they're going through a pandemic, y'all. Mm-hmm. 
it's like, yeah, yeah. like we're holding this both and, and mm-hmm. not really having the equipment, the internal equipment to hold that. My concern is that our educational leaders are not equipped to have difficult conversations yeah. about race and about other emotional based conversations. Like there are tons of leaders that cannot have conversations that are not scripted right. and that can become volatile and that be, it can become highly emotionally triggering just mm-hmm. for them and the people they're holding the conversation with. So what do we do? We gatekeep and we right. don't hold the conversation or we gatekeep and we say, let's just move on. Um, and then nothing gets solved. And then people are like carrying all this in the aftermath of this mm-hmm. meeting and into the school day, whatever that looks like. Um, for kids coming back, I think, I mean, I know kids can't wait for school to open. Like for so many kids, school is the safe haven. Yeah. School is the normal thing for them. Like in a lot of ways, kids want to be out of their homes and be at school, not just for socializing, but also because school is predictable. Right. School yeah. is safe. School yeah. has those caring adults. Like the, you know, there are reasons that kids value school in different ways. And so um, I hope that that becomes a reality for our children. I don't know that it will because particularly in California, you know, people are still not getting with the program in Texas. People are still not getting with the program. Like we're not really lowering the curve yeah. in a lot of places and it's hurting um, our kids and communities. Uh, the other piece on that is that some things like if kids are coming back and teachers are in masks and kids are in masks, I'm encouraging teachers to get buttons made of themselves, like oh. a chunky size button to wear of them smiling. Mm-hmm. because kids are not going to see you smile. Like they're not going to see the happy teacher. They're going to see you with this and how mm-hmm. much can you communicate? And are you really, you know, sorry, I did that, Doug. I know I messed it up. I covered my mouth, y'all. <laughs> to talk about how it's going to look to only see someone's eyes. That's how it's going to sound though too. Kids are right. like, what did you say? What do you say? Right. What did you say? And we're you know, all going to be yelling. I'm worried about our kids who are hard of hearing who rely on the ma- on the mouth like yeah. to see your mouth, right? Like that's, and it's, yeah. that's an equity issue that no one's talking about either, right? Like what about our kids who are never hard of hearing that they're going to go back to school and they're, they need mm-hmm. mouth and part of communication, right? It's not just, um, it's not just for aesthetics. It's not because I want to wear some nice lip gloss. It's because I, you need to be able to communicate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And those are the kinds of issues that are coming up. They're just not coming up mainstream, Annie. Right. So I'm glad you're even naming it. It's like, advocates and and the sped folks are starting to name those things but no one's really talking about it and the thing is too that just shows the magnitude Mm -hmm. of what our profession is being asked to deal with with very minimal support like why are we talking about budget cuts at a time that we're going to need more adults on hand like we're going to need more adults smaller class sizes more supports like we're bailing out corporations. We need to be bailing out yeah. education right yeah. now to make sure we're not literally yes. raising a generation That's of right. kids yeah. that is going to be responding to this trauma for mm-hmm. years to come. If we mm-hmm. don't get this right, if we don't yeah. get this right. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're talking, is there any, I really just love your practical approach to this too. Are, is there anything else that you're hearing in conversations? That's also as people are setting up for school, um, in just a few weeks, really, <laughs> um, yeah. sad to say, um, 
Is there anything else that you feel like people should keep at the forefront? I love your idea about the buttons. Obviously, the internal work needs to be ongoing. And I know a lot of people this summer have like, you know, are trying to do some of that work, watch some movies, read some books, you know, some of those kinds of things. Um, is there anything else you think should be at our forefront, at forefront of our mind? We're going to have to release the fear and mm. get vulnerable. Like we're going to have to start saying the things that we don't know how to do and where we need help. Hmm. We can't cover up our shortcomings. We can't cover up our skill set gaps. That's good. Because there's too much at risk right now. And the blind spots are too huge right now. Yeah. Like being a leader in education right now, you get to say where you're messing up. You get to say where you're struggling. I want to remind teachers all over the world, you didn't sign up for online teaching Teacher school didn't prepare you for this. If you kind of are sucking at it, it's okay because this wasn't in the job. Like, you know, and so again, we're just always being asked to compound the skill set building on top of already mediocre skill sets for a lot of us in terms of equity and in culturally responsive teaching Mm -hmm. and learning. Mm -hmm. And so now literally it's one more thing. And so I'm hearing that younger people are leaving the profession. I'm hearing the fear in people's voices. Um, I'm hearing others taking sabbaticals, like some people are just bailing on this. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not holding judgment around that because this is deep. This is Mm -hmm. huge. Mm -hmm. This is, yeah, this is major. Mm -hmm. I wish I had something a little more uplifting. No, no, it's real. I mean, that's no, what we, that's, we, we, that's really important to want to have those conversations to name it because it's, um, I, you know, the, I know most, all of us are probably in those groups on Facebook that are like the, um, for unions or for uh, for just you know teacher groups, right? And folks are talking about this, and they're talking about how they won't be able to go back to work, and um, not in some folks, not because they don't want to, they really want to, but they don't have childcare, they don't, they have elderly yeah. parents who live with them. They have this is this is going to gut our 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 schools, right? In terms of, of staff, and I I don't that's. I don't know if there will be any, any kind of like national strike action with teachers, but I'm interested to see what folks do because they're in the, some places it's not safe to go back to work. Um, and basically teachers are being told to go back to work. And we have this narrative in the news right now, which is focusing almost exclusively on the economy and on uh, making excuses for why children are not spreading coronavirus in order to reopen schools. They're not talking about school staff. None of those are right. about school staff. And so I, I just like, thank you for naming it. Cause it's real. Like it's, it's it. Like that's, it's realistic. And it, we have to talk about it. We can't just mm-hmm. stick our head in the sand and ignore it, you know, cause we're going to, we're going to have a whole bunch of staff who won't be coming back to work or folks who will be coming back to work and are very vulnerable and are only there because they don't have another option. And they're putting themselves at extreme risk. Right. Absolutely. Annie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I want to shift a little bit with the last bit of time with you. And I came across your work because of your racial healing allies book that you just created. Uh, do you call it a book? No- novella? An ebook. Yeah. An ebook, yes. <laughs> um, so I came across that. And I think as people are, are in the next few weeks, you know, are trying to do some of the internal work, wrestling with the things that we're talking about here. Um, that resource is phenomenal. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to that and some of the, some of the work that you're doing right now. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
Wow, that that ebook was really a labor of love. It was something in the making for the years of doing equity institutes and hearing people's stories of just like this. Again, this is what we're bringing to the classroom mm-hmm. with us, right? Our stories, and and so I wanted to create this ebook where people could just read and learn about. One, creating their own story, because when we can create our own story, we heal. And then also, how can it be used within the system? Like, how mm-hmm. can you get a group of friends together or a group of colleagues together and share your stories and read these stories and basically have informal conversations about race in order to normalize race mm-hmm. and the other isms that may creep into the conversation as we're having that, co- as we're having that talk. And then... Um, On that, I also wanted to use my emotional intelligence competencies, my heartfelt approach to how I did school transformation at San Lorenzo High School. And I came up with this course around mindful allyship, a heartfelt approach to racial healing. I partnered with two other outstanding educators and we do this four week intensive course over uh, over a month. And it's not something you just um, plug into like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, pop into this webinar. No, it's meant to be, you're meant to be present. You're meant to be on this journey for a month. And so the next one is starting August 5th. Wonderful. Um, Registration is July 13th to 31st. And you can find it on my website, but it has been an amazing first start already. Almost 300 people have signed up. They're loving it. Like even with the size We've done such strong container building. We've created ally pod groups. We've made it so that people feel connected to each other on this journey and experience. Um, it's been really powerful. The other thing that I'm wanting to prepare teachers and principals and other educators with is um, a trauma-informed work. And so um, our next piece is July 20th and 21st. It's a half day for three hours each. And it's our signature day-long workshop called Salbona, which is a word around um, belonging. And so it's a Swahili word from Africa. And so it's, we bring belonging, a trauma responsive approach to healing centered schools and classrooms. Hmm. So how can we do our inner work, which is day one, to then do the outer work, which is how do we put these skills that are trauma responsive in our schools and classrooms in a way that's going to make sense, whether we're in person or not in person. Yes. So yeah. we're um, doing that. So it's the inner that's work so on day one and the outer work on day two. And it's really a beautiful format. So you're offering that in July. Are you also doing a session in August as well? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't talked about August okay. yet. We probably will. Yeah. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And if people want to find you on social media, um, obviously we'll link to uh, the website in our show notes and to some of these resources that you mentioned. Um, how can people find you? Great. I'm also on Facebook under um, Toby Scruggs Hussein. I also have business Facebook TCS that I don't use nearly as much as my personal account. So just go for it. I'm all about integration. And then um, my hashtag for the last 15 to 20 years has been goddess at work. Like yes, I love that. Thank you. So that's on Instagram, Goddess at Work. And yeah. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, we don't want to keep you because we know you have a crazy schedule um, and you're really busy. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, uh, homework. That's right. I forgot. I almost forgot. 
Annie Leiden. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies. So my homework is simply um, for folks to go read and download the Racial Allies, a Racial Healing Allies ebook that we mentioned earlier. Um, check out Toby's work. Support um, her work as well. I believe that there's some places that you can do that with either signing up for workshops um, or financially do- donating. Maybe uh, hire her as a consultant. Um, Annie homework. Yeah, um, just do some additional research about specifically about uh, radical empathy. Um, some important uh, internal work to do if you're an educator and if you work with people in any capacity uh, <laughs> just to be a better person in general. Um, there's some great uh, like actual like academic journal articles about radical empathy in te- specifically in teaching um, that could really nicely complement Toby's work. So please go check that out. Uh, radical empathy in, in teaching. Uh, Judith Jordan uh, was an article published in 2018. It's available in those academic journals that are uh, free for your public library. So go check it out um, and uh, learn some stuff. Uh, Toby, any homework for our listeners today? Uh, you all have given plenty. My main <laughs> message to white folks is to please pace yourself. There's mm. so much to read. There's so much to take in and you will burn out if you like are drinking from the fire hose. This work is a journey. I've been on it for 25 years, but actually I was born black. So it's more like 40 something years. <laughs> so I'm just saying it doesn't end. It doesn't end. Pace yourself. The thing is, stay in it. Just don't use your privilege to step out of the journey. Mm, mm-hmm. Stay in it and um, it will all be worth it. It is so worth it. And Hope and Annie, lovely podcast. I'm so honored to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful uh, afternoon or morning and uh, we'll hopefully be in contact later. Great. Thank you. Bye. Hey, y'all, don't forget to grab your copy of The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor for our Read Less Basic book club. Follow the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag Read Less Basic. Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. The Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.